Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. The latest news out of the National Hockey League, however, has some fans not very happy. The Board of Governors unanimously approving adding advertisements to its jerseys in time for the 2022-23 season. So not this season, but next season. Moshe Lander is our next guest. He's a senior economics economics lecturer at Concordia University and joins us now. Mr. Lander, how are you? I'm well, thanks. So the question is, has the NHL sold its soul? Oh, they've just begun to sell its soul. Uh, if you think <laughs> that this is the end of the story, you're sadly mistaken. There's more coming in the coming decade. Uh, this is just the beginning. How so? What's next? Well, I mean, once you open up the idea that you can put ads on the jersey, why are we stopping at something that's the size of an iPhone? The next thing you know, you're going to have the main crest of the Sabres or the Flames or whatever team you want to cheer for relegated to the shoulder patch, and that entire front area is going to be taken up with ads. This is not just because they lost out on revenue in the pandemic. The pandemic was the opening for them to create this advertising on the jersey, which is what they always wanted. This is sacrilegious. It is to some sports purists, but you know what? Go take a look 30 years ago. There were no ads on the boards. There were no ads on the ice. The Leafs played at Maple Leaf Gardens, and the Chicago Blackhawks played at uh, Chicago Stadium, right? Now everything is named. Everything is boarded up with advertisements. It's all over the ice surface. We saw it on the side of the helmet. The divisions were renamed from uh, contributors to the NHL to geographic locations, It's just an evolution that we'll get used to, and then with the next one, we'll be outraged at that. You can understand why some fans are up in arms. I mean, it's the belief that, not the belief, but the realization that commercialization has now entered the last sacred place left in the game. Because you mentioned, you know, the rink boards have ads all over them. On the ice, there's logos. The LED ribbon displays in arenas. The arenas are renamed after corporations. The jersey was the last bastion of... Uh, sanctity among the NHL. I hate to say it, Rick, but I think there's one thing that's left, and it's the thing that will make everybody go crazy, and that's when they award the Stanley Cup brought to you by Tim Horton. (laughs) Um, If if you imagine that everything can be sold, it's just a matter of time before the trophies themselves are going to be sponsored by somebody who wants to be affiliated with, you know, the Lady Bing is associated with gentlemanly plays. So uh, how long till some company comes along and says, I want to be associated with that, or somebody wants to be associated with the Vesna Trophy and, you know, the great goaltenders or whatever it is. It, it's coming uh, because there is money out there. And, and we've always heard that sports is a business. It's just once we have to be told it, it, it bothers us, right? But, but we know it deep in our hearts. So how much money is at stake? Millions. Millions of dollars, but it, it, it's going to be dependent on the the team. Uh, you could imagine that the Leafs probably going to have huge lines for people that want to sponsor in that three inch by five inch space. Florida Panthers, maybe not so much. And so part of it's going to kind of rise and fall with the team. Some of it's going to rise and fall with their their history. Uh, but th- there's millions of dollars at stake. It, it's not going to recover the pandemic revenue that was lost, uh, but it, it, it's worth you know, the second second line left wing, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> you make a great point. You know, teams that aren't necessarily on 
primetime television, especially in the U.S. Um, you know, they're not on those Saturday afternoon games. They're not on those midweek primetime, uh, you know, ESPN, uh, TNT uh, slash TBS broadcasts that are coming up this season. Um, you know, you have the Chicago Blackhawks and the New York Rangers uh, and the Boston Bruins. And then, yeah, those those Nashville Arizona, I'm going to say Arizona, even though they might not be in Arizona, but those teams may not be able to uh, rake in as much revenue as some of the bigger teams. No, and, and I think one of the things that we need to watch, too, is that with the NHL now going to 32 uh, teams, I can very easily imagine that they're going to reorganize as eight divisions of four, like the NFL. And so if they go to eight divisions of four that are based on geography, then you could imagine that a, a division that's made up of Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, Seattle, for example, is going to have sponsorship dollars that are driven by the Pacific Northwest and the prairies, right? And so they're going to be very, very localized ads beyond just the fact of whether they're getting the national exposure because they're going to be playing each other so many more times than some of the other teams out of conference or out of division. Uh, that I think there's going to be a little bit of strategy here as to how you advertise, too. That's a good point. Moshe Lander is our guest, Senior Economics Lecturer at Concordia University. You're listening to The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Rick, in for Roy today. Here's something I thought of earlier today. Uh, we've seen logos on equipment and apparel for a while now, whether it's Bowie, uh, Bauer or Nike or Adidas. Are those companies now feeling that, knowing that their logos are going to be overshadowed by these New Jersey ads, are those companies feeling kind of left out? I don't know that they're going to be left out. I think it's going to negotiate that that's how you determine the price that you pay, right? So if Bauer, Nike, or Reebok want to pay a premium for more privileged space on the jersey, that's why I was saying that I, I think it's just a matter of time in the coming decade before we see those crests relegated to the shoulder patches, and then we're going to say, okay, this space here on your stomach, you know, that's worth X dollars, and this space over your left uh, chest is worth Y dollars, and uh, and that's going to be the way that you determine value. And so I think the NHL might look for maybe uh, league partnership deals and then relegate certain space down to local deals. So, you know, you can have some local auto body shop uh, kind of giving, uh, you know, one by two inches or things like that. And eventually it's going to turn into kind of like NASCAR type <laughs> uniforms, the way that every single inch is sponsored by somebody. Wow, that's, uh, that is disturbing as a hockey fan. Um, in, in envisioning that, how soon before we see a hockey jersey in the NHL resemble either a soccer jersey with, you know, one main logo and maybe the, the, uh, the team's crest on the shoulder or whatnot, uh, and how soon do we see jerseys littered with ads like we do when we're watching European hockey? Let's say 10 to 20 years. Um, you know, so I, I, I think uh, the vast majority of people listening right now will be approaching retirement. if They're not already there by the time that we get there. Uh, but, I, you know, like I said, go back 20, 30 years. And you just have to find on YouTube, you know, uh, for me, the 89 Cup uh, Calgary versus Montreal was completely bereft of advertising in the form and in the saddle dome. Uh, it can happen that quickly. Once you breach the idea of advertising on the jersey, uh, it's, it's incremental. So it's not going to happen overnight that we're going to see every inch covered. But once you have one patch, add on a second patch a couple years later, then a third patch, and next thing you know, that incrementalism has led to it's relegated to the shoulders. Still with hockey, but I'm going to switch gears here and talk about non-fungible tokens, NFTs. Wayne Gretzky entering the world of NFTs. 
we, we've seen these already out in the digital market space, but is the great one poised to dominate this, uh, this marketplace like he has the sport? No. No, there's there's a great history in hockey there. There's so many different moments out there that you can capitalize on. Uh, so he has uh, a bunch of them, uh, but he, he doesn't have a monopoly there. And so, fine, he might be a first mover, uh, but this is going to merely create an impetus for others to say, well, if he can get into the game, I want to get into the game too. And the vast majority of people that are going to want to buy these NFTs are going to be people that don't even remember Gretzky playing. So, you know, for maybe you and me, we have a recollection of Gretzky, and that's kind of the gold standard. Uh, But to a young millennial, you may as well put Gretzky in the same category as Gordie Howe. It's just, it's something that they wouldn't necessarily be paying top dollar for. Uh, For those of our listeners who are not familiar with NFT, do you have a brief description that can encapsulate what they are? Sure. It's the 21st century of a hockey card. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's basically the idea that you're buying a digital video clip. Uh, it, it's something that you could carry with you in a way that you and I might have used to carry our hockey cards around in uh, you know, some sort of compartment that we could uh, carry with us. But now it's carried on your phone or it's carried on your laptop. Uh, and the idea is that it can be bought and sold the same way that we might have traded hockey cards in our youth. This is now something that has financial value. Uh, the catch is, of course, you don't actually own the rights to the video any more than I would have owned the likeness to Lanny McDonald on my hockey card as a kid. They're a little more expensive than hockey cards back in the day. Yeah, Tops and uh, OPG, I think, uh, maybe missed out. <laughs> they got out of the game a little bit too early. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's, that's kind of the market now driving that where we would buy a pack of cards for 25 cents, 50 cents, or a dollar, uh, you didn't know what you were going to get. Now you can specifically target that I want this particular highlight, or I want this particular player, or I want this particular season, or whatever it is that you're looking for. And the market is going to dictate through supply and demand that some things are worth more than others, rather than it's just kind of a grab all of who knows what you get. You're listening to The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Rick Samprin in for Roy today. We're chatting with Moshe Landers, Senior Economics Lecturer at Concordia University. And speaking of high-priced cards, the iconic Honus Wagner T206 baseball trading card, still the GOAT. It sold at auction a few days ago for a record-breaking $6.6 million. That's extraordinary. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, it? It's a great investment over a hundred-year period. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying that facetiously. I'm saying that if you take a look at the return you got on a card that would have cost a nickel uh, at the time, that's a that's a tremendous return that even the stock market doesn't return. It, it really does show the power of supply and demand. And the fact is that the more uh, supply is constrained, I think there's only maybe half a dozen cards left in existence, but this is the one that's in the best condition. Uh, there's there's always a millionaire that, you know, Charlie Sheen or anybody else that wants to put that on display and say, look at my conspicuous consumption, what I can afford to buy. It's uh, it's unbelievable. And I was reading a story about this uh, on ESPN.com, and they were telling the story of this individual who had this card, this particular card that just sold for $6.6 million. He sold it back in the 1970s, and he used the money to open up, uh, I think it was a shoe store, but he sold it for $2,500. So in a matter of, you know, 40 years, almost 50 years, it has gone from 2500 to over $6 million. You know, it has, a, it, it has a certain level of art to it. And so, you know, we're, we as sports fans look at hockey cards and we look at these sorts of 
uh, tradables as something that, you know, is, is exciting and collectible. It, it, it's kind of the equivalent of the art market. And so I, I'm not going to say that Onus Wagner is on the level of a Van Gogh or something like that, but, you know, the same sort of thing that somebody created a likeness of a player and the player had a Hall of Fame uh, career. And, and the fact is that people want to have that on display. And that's the only reason that you're buying this card, right? It, it provides no utility beyond the fact that it's something that you can show off to people at a dinner party. And so that's kind of the same sort of level then as a, a lot of this art, where it's for display purposes. And, and that's kind of what's driving the market then. And that's what delivers such great returns then. If you can keep it in good condition, and if it's somebody that people have heard of, it's a great story at dinner. Do you have any old hockey or baseball cards worth uh, floating around? You know, I'm at my parents' place right now, and I kind of feel the need to go into the basement and go see if there's any value there that I've missed uh, years ago. (laughs) If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 